Welcome to the PA is in the show created by PAs for PAs where codependency with your supervising physician is a thing of the past. Optimal team practice is the future and physician associate has taken the place of physician assistant as the professional title of choice. I'm Tracy Bingaman and I'm obsessed with redefining what success as a PA looks like and what it feels like. Here you'll find the mindset shifts, systems, and processes I use to escape healthcare burnout and integrate my work into my life. Work-life balance is a myth and an integrated life where you thrive professionally, not a balancing act, is the goal here. My mission is to help you to grow into a unicorn PA who loves their job, has abundant energy, time to spare, and work-optional financial freedom. The PA is in. Welcome back to another episode of The PA Is In. Today, we're talking all about sleep. So we know as providers, as parents, and as people that sleep is important. We know that we should be getting more sleep. We know we shouldn't be scrolling on our phones until the moment where we doze off. And yet we don't know how to get good quality sleep. And sometimes even harder, we aren't getting good sleep because our kids aren't sleeping. Today's guest on the show is Arielle Martin, a PA who works in family medicine and is a pediatric sleep consultant. She's going to give us all the tips on how to get our kids to sleep and really give them this gift of being able to sleep independently as they go out into their lives. Without further ado, here she is, Arielle Martin. Arielle, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us about you, who you are, and what you do. Um, I'm Arielle Martin. I've been a PA for six years in family practice. And um, in the past year and a half or so, I have also been a sleep consultant. Um, a pediatric sleep consultant helps parents feel empowered to uh, get their children through sleep struggles and um, give them the gift of independent sleep. So what inspired you to sort of take this next step? And as a PA who was like presumably already treating both these patients and their kids to say, you know, I want to do more and learn more and step into this role as a sleep consultant. Well, in family practice, you can imagine, I see a lot of babies. I see a lot of toddlers um, even a lot of moms and uh, a lot of parents report that their children don't sleep or that they're so exhausted and not getting much sleep at night. And that tugs at my heartstrings. <laughs> but even more so, I now have a two and a half year old. And when she was about six months old, she, I felt like she was a terrible sleeper. And I felt like I'm in medicine. What is wrong with me? Why can't I get my own child to sleep? I'm over here taking care of babies every day. So what am I doing wrong? But it turns out this is stuff they don't teach you in PA school. <laughs> no. Um, a lot of times medical providers are just taught to say, well, crying is safe and it's okay. You can let your baby cry it out. But I was not one of those parents who wanted to let my baby cry it out. And a lot of parents aren't. So it may be safe, but it's not necessarily well-received. So I went looking for answers. I needed my six-month-old to sleep, and I wanted to sleep. 
And <clears throat> excuse me, I have a really great friend who used a sleep consultant and I didn't even know what they were. I had never heard of sleep consultants. And uh, she said it was so amazing. Her child was sleeping so well. She did some additional research for me and helped me get my daughter to sleep. So I just started looking more deeply into it. I said, what is a sleep consultant and what can I learn? And is this evidence-based? Is this something that I can use for patients? Or is it just something that is just anecdotal and I need to try it out? So um, I looked into a bunch of courses. I found one. I became certified and I'm really happy to be using it, using these behavioral approaches for my own daughter, but also my family and friends. And I, I can use some of these recommendations now as an evidence-based approach for patients too. So let's talk a little bit more about this gift of independent sleep. So as a parent, um, we are sort of, I'm sort of, you know, I don't want to jinx things, but like our youngest is four. I do feel like we're out of the woods of like the worst part of sleeping and parents and newborns and then toddlers who are in a bed and not restrained in a crib anymore. And like all of those sort of leaps and bounds that kids go through when it comes to sleeping. So talk to me about boundaries, how we can encourage that independent sleep in our kids and what we can start to do just in general to foster that independence and them sleeping without us needing to be there or, you know, needing to be there throughout the night. Yes, it is truly a gift. I believe it's such a beautiful gift to give our children and they can carry these skills for years. Um, but Boundaries. I'm so glad you mentioned that word boundaries. They're very important in the parenting realm, but especially with sleep, um, whether it's sleep or behavior, I think the biggest thing that we need to do is be consistent. So a, a couple things that we can try, um, is sometimes we might think our children are, um, manipulating us or we feel out of control. And I really hate those terms because there's a quote I love and I have no idea who originally said it, but it's children aren't giving us a hard time. They're having a hard time. And I love to remind parents of that. And I love to remind myself of that. I have a toddler, <laughs> so I can't take credit for that saying, but I do love to use it. Um, but the point is children like structure. They, they need strong expectations. They don't like to feel like they're in control. So when they feel in control of a situation, it breeds chaos. And that just becomes this almost unbearable cycle of just perpetuating that chaos because we don't know how to respond when there's chaos. So the biggest thing is we need to have a plan, a solid plan. We need to set up those expectations for our children and for ourselves. And then we need to deliver on that plan very consistently. So one important boundary, um, you mentioned uh, your child may or may not stay in their bed because they're not confined to a crib. So um, as an example, let's talk about that. Um, not only is it the safest place for a child to be in their own safe sleep space, but it, it's helpful for sleep all around for us and for them. So we need to set up that expectation 
for our child that they're going to sleep in their own bed, maybe in their own room, maybe sharing with a sibling. It doesn't matter as long as they're in their own safe sleep space. Um, but when they leave their bed, how are we going to respond to that? It needs to be appropriate and it needs to be consistent. So let's say your child leaves their room and they come to your room wanting to get into your bed maybe because they are afraid of a monster or a bad dream, something scary. So do you let them stay in your room? Do you get out some monster spray? We've started to hear about this monster spray lately. Do you search the room for monsters to show them or to look for them and make sure their room is safe? Um, I, I like to stress what type of messaging that sends to the, the child. If I were that child and my parents pulled me into their bed and maybe even whispered a little, oh, well, mommy will protect you. Um, I might be learning that it's only safe in my parents' room or it's only safe in my parents' bed. I might learn that my room is not safe and I should be afraid of my room. So maybe there really is something scary in my room and my parents need to protect me from it. We don't wanna send that message. We want our children to believe that their room is safe because it is, it's true. Or maybe if we're searching for monsters or we're spraying monster spray to repel the monsters, then maybe I just learned that monsters are real, even though my mom might have said they're not. And maybe monsters are something we need to repel and I need to be protected from monsters. So I may either get that message or I might just be confused. Are they real or are they not? <laughs> are, what you're telling me is not matching what you're doing. So what we need to do is change that messaging for our children. So if a child comes into my room and says, I'm afraid of um, a monster or a bad dream, then what I need to do is validate my child's feelings. It's okay to feel scared sometimes. And sometimes dreams do make me feel scared. I get scared sometimes too. But then we need to give them confidence and help them feel safe and know that they're safe and confident in their sleep. And confidence is contagious. We know that our, our anxieties sometimes get pressed onto our children and our confidence does too. So that confidence comes from telling them monsters and bad dreams are just stories. And then we walk them back to their room we tuck them in, we kiss them good night, and we leave the room. We instill that confidence. We're consistent. They know that they're safe. And if everything we tell them is true and the messaging we're sending them is consistent, they have no reason to believe that what we're saying is not true. So sometimes that kid, especially after a bad dream, might need an extra hug or two, or um, they might need, they might have some questions they want to ask you, but we don't want to keep this conversation too long at night. I mean, how much do you absorb in the middle of the night? Not much. <laughs> and it's absolutely okay if they need an extra hug or two. We want to, we want to give them what they need and give them that connection, but then we need to leave the room and let them know that it's safe for them to be alone there. So my biggest thing is, I know I went on a bit of a tangent there, <laughs> 
But the moral of the story is we really want to be consistent with our messaging and our actions, and um, they need to match. And that's a big thing about setting, um, starting to set healthy boundaries for our kids. This episode of The PA Is In is brought to you by Medthusiast. They are my go-to source for hilarious, adorable medical apparel. Their items are incredible design-wise and with a level of comfort that is beyond compare. Whether you are in the market for a gift for your friends in medicine or looking for an excuse to treat yourself, there is something for everyone in any specialty or medical profession. For the latest designs from PA owner, creative genius, mom, and PICU PA, Andrea, head to medthusiast.com. And I think this is a rude awakening. Haha. <laughs> no, I actually did not mean to say that. Um, <laughs> this is like a rude awakening for a kid who has been like, welcomed into your bed, welcomed into your bed, welcome into your bed. Like you got to tell them during the day, I'm assuming like, Hey, you're going to be staying in your bed. You know, if you come in, you're going to go back. Um, because all of a sudden it's two in the morning and they're like, what do you mean? I'm not allowed in here. Like all the other times I could come in. So you, you know, communicate that on the front end. Um, and then one other thing I would love it if you could talk about is like, routines and habits around bedtime. Like I feel like bedtime is a curse word for a lot of people with young parents. Like they don't want to think about it. It's just super stressful. Everyone's tired at the end of the day. Um, and like, we are not sleep experts. We have survived. Um, I don't necessarily know that I would say like we have thrived, but it's been like sustainable. Um, but one thing that I have our kids, like no matter where, what we're doing or where, you know, who's over what's happening. We've been doing this since my stepsons who are now 20 were young. We would say, I don't know where this came from, but we would just say time for time for, and our little kids would say B E D. And they would know that like, that would mean like, we're going to clean up what we're doing. We're going to start our bedtime routine. And like, it's been this like fun way to kick off bedtime. What tips do you have relative to like the routine or habits or making bedtime feel less like torture for parents. I love that conversation. I'll go back just a second because you said it, um, you mentioned that, um, coming into your bed that does start with daytime. I totally agree. You need to set up those expectations long before a bad dream or monsters happen. (laughs) They need to know exactly what to expect. And then you enforce that. Yes, absolutely. Um, But bedtime routine is really important. There actually was a study done. um, It was either 2007 or 2009, but it was within the last 15 years. And they were actually studying bedtime routine as an intervention to see if it helped um, overnight awakings or sleep onset, um, which is how long it takes to fall asleep. And it did have statistically significant benefits. It was a difference of a couple of minutes. So I wouldn't say that it was hugely clinically significant. (laughs) Um, But the biggest thing that they found was actually, I think it was a secondary data point that they were looking for, but um, it showed that it improved mother's moods. 
And I think that's a huge benefit that we can really look into further in research. And I hope there is a lot of future research on that. But um, they used a standardized scale called the POMS scale. And they found that mothers, after implementing a consistent bedtime routine, it was simple, it was basic, but it was consistent for two weeks. It only took two weeks. These moms were reporting less anger, fatigue, confusion, and tension. And I think that alone can make bedtime routines worth it. Whether it's actually helping their kids sleep better or not, I think that the maternal mental health side is a huge benefit that we overlook. So um, yes, bedtime routines are important. And um, maybe an example of one would be um, feeding, which I always encourage to be at the beginning of a bedtime routine if it's an infant, for example, so that we're losing that um, feeding to sleep association. Toddlers, it's a little bit different. Um, but feeding, bath, lotion, pajamas, brush teeth. Then you might read a book or two. Um, they don't have to be long books, <laughs> just sport books. And then um, we have bedtime prayers in ours. That might not work for every family. But And then a song. I think a song really helps take that tension of getting into your crib out and it can be a pleasant surprise for a kid who's new to a bedtime routine. And it's really soothing to hear your mom or your dad or your parents sing a goodnight song to you, maybe just twinkle, twinkle. Um, I like that as the last step of a bedtime routine. And then put your baby or your um, child in bed, kiss them goodnight, say a very simple goodnight phrase. Ours is night, night. We love you so much. And then white noise machine. If you choose to use a machine, turn off the light and leave the room. It needs to be very consistent in the order you do it so that your child, again, doesn't have chaos. They know exactly what to expect and when, and it lets them wind down. I will say that toddlers need a little bit longer to wind down. So bedtime routine might need to be at least 30 minutes for a toddler. <laughs> they need a little more time. Yeah. Our phrase at our house is good night. I love you. I'll see you in the morning because we had one kid who is very like, when will I see you again? Like he had lots of questions about like, is this forever? Like I was like, no, like we will see you in the morning. So I kept saying, we'll see you in the morning. And then it turned into good night. I love you. I'll see you in the morning. Um, and actually when we drop them off at school, they say like, goodbye, love you. Like I'll see you this afternoon. And I think it's cool for them to have this like this is when we will meet again. This is when like, you know, I'll see you. Yes. That brings that consistency back in too, because your child are set, your, your children are setting up their expectations. When will I see you again? What's happening next? And that's great. They have that structure. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I'm wondering if you can talk to the parents of kids who are a little bit older. Um, I feel like as a society, we have gotten into this habit of like just devices, TV, watching, you know, sound and light and noise. And then we just sort of drift off as those things are happening. What can we do as our kids are like growing up, transitioning to them having their own bedtime routine where we're not necessarily, you know, a two-year-old and a 12-year-old obviously look a lot different. 
Yes, this is where the sleep hygiene is actually pretty similar to adults. And there are some really basic things that I, I still recommend. Like I mentioned white noise machines earlier. I think those are good at any age. So older kids, adults, it cuts out distractions. It cuts out extra noises, the house creaking. So I think that is something that's really great for sleep hygiene. But when we're thinking about phones and tablets and TVs, Sleep hygiene really encourages you to take those devices out of the bedroom. Your bed should be for sleep only. It should not be a place where you're doing homework. It should not be a place where you're doing stimulating activities for your brain or um, even having brightly colored painted walls. Some... Um, my mom taught this psychology of stress course. It was several years ago and she shared some of it with me. So, um, she was talking about colors of, um, your bedroom or the living room, or it doesn't matter, but what the room is used for, even the color can be really stimulating. So you want to, and this might be different for every person, but you might look at um, blues and say, oh, these are really relaxing for me. Someone else might look at blue and say, this color makes me really happy and feels bright to me. So if that color feels really bright to you, then it might not be the best color for your bedroom. And I think that's something we think about with older kids because older kids, they, they love to have their room decorated and, um, have fun colors in their room. It might be a bright pink even. And, um, that might just be a really good conversation point to have with those older kids where you're looking at colors and say, what color feels really calm to you? What color feels really happy to you? And it's a, it's a fun activity, but then you can translate that into their room decorating too. Um, tablet wise, TV wise, of course, we want to keep that stuff out of the bedroom, but then we might also think of bedtime routines, like you mentioned. So really screen time should not be happening probably after dinner time, really, if we think about it. Now, that's not realistic for a lot of families because sometimes that's the only time they have screen time and they still want to give their kids a little bit of screen time. Um, of course, we know as PAs, recommendations are really less than two hours a day. So um, for families who do want to let their kids have some screen time, I would, and it's after dinner, I'd recommend it be like right after dinner and then try to keep the, the lighting a little less dim as you get closer into the evening. You really want to set that mood for, for your mind to start winding down before bedtime. Might do some um, or encourage your kids to exercise during the day because that helps with our body's readiness for sleep. And that's important for adults too. We know that exercise has so many benefits. It's great for endorphins. It makes us happy. It gives us energy during the day, but we, we sometimes overlook how much it can really help our sleep quality too. And then blackout curtains are a great idea for any age as well. Um, and um, oh, caffeine. So older kids like soda. They're finally allowed to drink it. And um, all these Starbucks drinks now that teens are into and um, even adults. I think it's really important to limit that caffeine 
as a rule, but um, especially we want to make sure they're not drinking much caffeine in the evenings or any preferably. Yeah. And I think like, as your kids get older, um, you know, talking to them like, Hey, you know, you see them in the morning, they're like, I'm exhausted. I couldn't sleep. And if they had a Starbucks the day before you sort of say like, hi, I wonder why that was like, how did you feel? Like, why do you think you couldn't sleep? And if you can identify like with them, that trigger, like, Oh, you know, a latte at 5 PM is probably not a great, you know, not conducive to restful sleep great. Okay. Like they start to put those connections together so that they get, Oh, because someday they're 25 and you're not calling them like, don't drink coffee after dinner. You know, like they have to be an adult who can function and sleep and, you know, figure those things out. On their yes. Own. We need to encourage that autonomy and critical thinking in our kids. Yeah. So I've heard you share that poor sleep is not just part of being a mom, part of being a parent. And that is a myth. And I think that as moms, we're terrible at this, right? Like we're propagating this own myth about ourselves and about how motherhood just like, oh, you had kids, like you're just never going to sleep again. So how can we debunk this myth or encourage the moms or parents listening that like, that's not actually how it has to be? It's so true. I think society just tells us okay, you have kids now. You're never going to sleep again. Good luck. And you might sleep when they're 18, but you still won't sleep because you'll be worried about them because they're going to leave. Yes. (laughs) So then we're just thrown to the wolves. And why, why do we have to believe that? I, I hate that we have to believe that because we don't. Um, but I think it's really simple and we really just need to change the narrative and reframe it. I tell, I tell sleep clients all the time, things are hard right now. You're exhausted. You just want the absolute best in the world for your child. And you can, and you will sleep better. (laughs) And then we work through that together. So I think we just need to tell all the parents out there that you can be a parent and set healthy boundaries and have positive, gentle parenting styles and feel well rested and fulfilled all at the same time. You can have all of that at the same time. And if we change that narrative and we change um, or reframe the way that we're viewing parenting and sleep as a society, I think we can change that. Yeah. Yeah. And if as moms, we start to say things like I set boundaries and my kid now figured out how to sleep in their bed and I am sleeping through the night, like other moms telling moms, like it's okay. And I feel good. is going to encourage people like, Oh, there is a way that this is sustainable and achievable for me and for my family. Yes. And that's what happened to me. I, um, I had that friend who just said, my kid's sleeping great now. Let me help you. And we can help each other. Yes. Yeah. That encouragement, that community, that even just understanding, first of all, you're not the only family parent kid who is struggling with this. Second of all, there are resources and answers and it does not have to be like this because I personally, I'm something, I'm someone who on that score of like stress and, you know, all of these things, when my kids aren't sleeping, if I'm not sleeping, I am not 
at my best. Like I am emotionally labile. Like someone can say like, Hey, you forgot this. And I'm like, (laughs) you know, like I just like can't, I'm sobbing. I'm so emotional. If I'm on the phone with my mom and I start crying, she's like, do you need a nap? Like, it's just like, I have as a kid needed a lot of sleep as an adult. I still need more sleep than average. So that being said, how much sleep as adults, if you can speak to this, are we supposed to be getting? And also, how can we improve our own sleep habits? Because I'm very like great at like no screen time for my kids. They get to bed and immediately I turn on the TV. Yes. So as adults, it's, it's hard because I think there have been so many different studies and resources. And a lot of times they say, oh, adults need eight hours, or maybe they need six hours or they need 10 hours. And I I think it really just comes down to the person. (laughs) So I think that's really individualized and we can read the studies all we want, but we're going to have to come to our own conclusions on how much sleep we actually need to feel like ourselves and to feel productive and to feel full, feel well-rested. Um, but as far as sleep habits go, it really is very similar to kids, what we need, even though we feel like, well, we're adults now, we can do whatever we want at night. <laughs> there are no rules for me. I make yeah. the rules. Yeah. Yeah. But um, caffeine is a big one. But also, I think a lot of times as adults, we we might go out on dates even after our kids go to bed and having big meals or um, alcohol even in the evening. Some people say they get sleepy with alcohol, but it actually does interrupt sleep. Um, And big meals, when your body is focusing on digesting a large meal, it's not quite as ready to go to sleep as it might be if you had just a bedtime snack, but your dinner was earlier. So we might even want to schedule our days and our dinners to not be at 8 p.m. like some of us might be used to. Um, blackout curtains, white noise machines. Those are all really great for, um, our sleep hygiene as adults too. Um, but I think one of the biggest struggles we have, like we're PAs, we know sometimes PAs work 24 hour shifts or sometimes they're working nights. So how do we, how do we get past that? And, um, we make all these recommendations to, um, be intentional about your bedtime, keep it consistent, try to go to bed at the same time every night. Don't fall asleep on the couch at 10 PM and then get up and get ready for bed at midnight, because then you might be up for another hour or two trying to fall asleep again. And while those things are very important, we know that sometimes on 24 hour shifts, you have uninterrupted sleep. You won't go to sleep at 10 p.m. and get up at 6. You might go to sleep at 9.30 for half an hour and then 11 for two hours. <laughs> and um, some of us were used to that with our children too. <laughs> but I think this medical world and and even other professions that work this shift work, um, we get overlooked. And there have been studies showing that health outcomes for night workers particularly have even been a little less than ideal. So, so what we can do is just foster the, the really healthy sleep habits that we can, but we have to give ourselves grace too and be as flexible as we can. Yeah. 
For sure. Uh, one thing that I really like when you said no screens in the bedroom, I was like, oh, we're doing that so well, except my phone, right? So I don't know exactly when this happened as a society that we like forgot alarm clocks existed on their own. And we think we have to use our phone as an alarm, which for me is super unhealthy. Like if my phone is in my room, I'm almost certainly looking at it. And if it is the alarm, then as soon as I turn the alarm off, then I just like accidentally end up spending 20 minutes on my phone. So other than like phone alarm clock, you know, that kind of stuff, like what should an adult bedtime routine look like or what could it look like? Great question. So I think that I'm one of those people who needs a little more time to wind down. Um, so I've been guilty of scrolling my phone and Facebook at night because I've used my phone as an alarm clock, but we do have a normal alarm clock in our room. So that is um, something very important that you brought up that our phones do not need to be in our rooms. Um, but we do feel like we're disconnected or what if someone calls me at 3 a.m.? But how often does someone call you at 3 a.m. if you're not on call? <laughs> so we can give ourselves those realistic expectations too. But um, a, a good bedtime routine for an adult can be really similar to an older kid too. Um, I might need 30 or 60 minutes to wind down. And sometimes I might need even more time in the evening really to wind down because I've put my child to bed and now I'm finally having some alone time with my husband. So, um, yeah, we might watch a little bit of TV, but you should probably limit that and try not to watch it depending on your bedtime, preferably within an hour or two of bedtime then that's a great time to have your quiet conversations or um, read a book, something that doesn't have that blue light, that screen light that's really disrupting our, our normal circadian rhythm. So you might have the lights a little dimmer. Um, you might read a book. I think I could be wrong, but I think the Kindles have, um, they don't have that blue light. I the think the screens ones. are different. Yeah. So I think the new ones have like a screen that's not as disruptive. Yeah. Yeah. So I think those could be a good idea if you like to read on um, something with a light. Um, audiobooks, you can just kind of relax and listen to a book instead of watching a screen. Um, or podcasts, <laughs> podcasts <are laughs> like <great>. this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you might listen to something for a little bit. You might have those quiet conversations, whatever that is that helps you feel, um, like you're winding down and that can be really individualized for an adult. Um, avoid the alcohol. <laughs> and then once you're ready, then you go and do your skincare routine. You do your, um, teeth brushing, um, your shower, if you're a nighttime shower, I am, it helps me wind down for the night. It helps me feel relaxed, but others feel really stimulated by it and they need that morning shower. So no judgment here. It has to be individualized. Um, then, um, you'll get into bed. You might, some people will read for a little bit in your bed and that's okay. I'm not against that. I feel like it still is winding down unless unless you're really stimulated by reading, but I think most people kind of wind down with it and feel relaxed with it. And that's okay. Um, and then you turn off the lights and you go to sleep. You want your room to be dark. You want it to be quiet. White noise might not seem quiet to you, but it cuts out distractions and I still consider it quiet. Um, 
those blackout curtains are important because how many times have you woken up at 5 a.m. in the summer and thought that it must be so late because the sun is out and you're like, how late did I sleep? Um, or these PAs who are working nights or 24 hour shifts and they come home and they're sleeping with the, basically all the lights are on because they're, sun. Yeah. yeah, because the sun is out. That's not helpful for restful sleep either. So that's something to keep in mind too. I've never done this before, but I'm going to share something intimate, literally about my intimates on the podcast. After trying Vibrant Body Company's certified clean first layer bras and underwear, I threw everything else away. Life is too short to wear bras that don't fit. So schedule your virtual fit consultation with their master bra designer, Heidi. You get to zoom, do live measurements, and find the exact right fit for you before ordering. Use the link in the show notes or the discount code TRACY15 for 15% off your Vibrant Body Company order. Make sure you try the thong and the semi-demi everywhere bra. You'll thank me later. So I would love if you would share with us some of your services and what you do for parents to help kids get to that independent sleep and where people can find you if they're like, I need her in my life. I need sleep. I cannot do this anymore. Yes. Um, my business is called Pediatric Sleep Solutions by REL um, on Instagram or Facebook. It, the handle is Ped Sleep by REL. Um, I can type that up for you to share if you'd like. Um, uh, the website is pediatricsleepbyrel.com. And um, my services mostly are, um, they're all pediatric. I don't help adults much, but I do highly recommend CBTI or counselors who are certified in insomnia for adults. <laughs> um, but for children, I have a, a couple different services. I, I always write a sleep plan, no matter what service. I always write it tailored to the child, tailored to a conversation we've had, um, tailored to your parenting style or preferences, your child's temperament and development. It really, the methods you use really depend on a lot of those things. And I want to work with the family and meet them where they are. Um, so I work with children who have maybe just a little blip in the road in their sleep journey, or I work with children who never slept well a day in their life. <laughs> and um, I really focus on um, getting them to sleep independently at night, falling asleep and falling back to sleep when they wake up in the middle of the night independently. And then um, naps often follow after naps are a little harder. There's less sleep pressure during the day. So, um, they're more ready to, for change at night. So those often fall in line before naps, but, um, we focus on nighttime sleep. We focus on naps and, um, I have packages that are for infants and for toddlers up to, um, about five years old is my preference. I have worked with older kids and that's okay too. Um, sometimes you just have to get a little more creative with the older kids. Yeah. 
I think this is such an encouraging message and such great information. If you are a parent of one of those kids who you are saying like, he's just not a good sleeper. He just doesn't sleep well. He doesn't like to sleep, like to get that kid to be able to sleep on their own and have these skills because being able to sleep is something we're going to have to do for the rest of our life. So it really is a gift to get them to figure it out and to help them have the tools that they need to be able to do that. Yes. And something that I I just thought of now is um, I think a lot of times parents wonder about their attachment. If, if my child isn't sleeping well and I do or don't do anything about it, how is that going to affect our attachment? Are we still going to have a good relationship? And um, if you don't mind, I'll talk about that for just a second. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really a big concern. And it was a concern of mine too, because we're, again, this messaging is if your child cries, you need to respond that second. And um, it's not our job as parents to stop big emotions. It's our job to let our children feel big emotions and guide them through them because we're in a society that doesn't want to feel, we don't want to feel anything. (laughs) And that is dangerous messaging for our children because emotions are important and they're allowed to feel them and their feelings are valid. We just need to guide them through them. So sometimes we make changes that they don't like and they're allowed to not like it. We don't have to stop that feeling we just have to show them consistency and love them through those feelings. But, but there have been studies looking at attachment, long-term studies and short-term studies. And all of them have shown that there is absolutely no statistically or clinically significant difference at all, whether you intervene or not, whether you um, do any gentle sleep training methods, whether you do cry it out or whether you don't do any intervention. There's no difference in the parent-child attachment at all. So I think that that's really encouraging because we don't have to say that there's one answer that fits every family. We don't have to say you have to do this or you can't do that. We can really um, encourage parents to do what feels right for their family. Yeah. And each, each kid is different. Like we've had multiple kids. So each of our kids have needed different levels of support or redirection when it comes to both feelings and sleep. And I do, in my personal experience, I think there is some correlation between like the emotional ones and the ones who don't sleep well. Like they're just like, we have a couple of kids who are just more sensitive than other kids. Um, But that study is so like, I wish someone had told me that years ago. Like essentially that study just made me feel like they're going to be fine. Like you could totally mess this up. You could be inconsistent. You could try to cry it out and then give up and try again. And, and like in the end, it's going to be okay. Yes, it is going to be okay. But I, but there is some scary data too, that shows the longer mothers were awake in it was one study in particular, the longer mothers were awake, tending to their infants. I think it it was at three to six months postpartum. The longer they were awake, tending to their infants, the lower the mother's perceived attachment was. Oh, okay. So this brings into play again, the maternal mental health that we overlook. That's so important. We need to support these moms. And I never want a mom to feel like they're, less attached to their child because they're not sleeping. Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, as a mom, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to get it just right. And we do in our minds say there's one right way to do this and I've got to find that way. Well, turns out there's no right or wrong answer. There's It's not a multiple choice question of like, what does my kid need? Select A, B, C, or D. And figuring out what they need in this season, but also what you need. So sometimes your kid like could care less if they're sleeping and you're like, I need them to sleep because I need to sleep so I can function to take care of them and to see patients and to show up well in the world. Um, it's just such an important thing that I think we discredit. We say like, oh, I'm stressed and overwhelmed. Like I'm going to do more. I need to do more to get caught up when really what we maybe need to do is like, go to sleep. (laughs) Yes. And how much better do we show up for our kids during the day when we're well rested? Yeah. Yeah. We are a more patient, better version of ourselves when everyone got some freaking sleep last night. It's just better. (laughs) It is so much better. Awesome. Aria, well, thank you for coming on the show. I think this is going to be so pertinent and so helpful to all of the listeners who tune in the encouragement that they needed. And also the reminder that like to keep working on this because it is worthy of our time and attention and that it's really valuable to us and to our kids. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking about sleep. Oh my goodness. What an important reminder that I want to send my kids out in the world with the ability to sleep, with the ability to know what good sleep hygiene is and to understand the importance of this rest and recharging of our brains and our bodies. I am so happy to be able to share information like this with you, which will hopefully help you and your kiddos to sleep better. That's all for today. I will see you next time on The PA Is In. Congratulations, you've just joined an awesome club. By listening to a full episode of The PA Is In, you are officially on the Unicorn PA team. Welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episode of the show. The life of your dreams exists on the other side of taking action. Keep making small shifts and keep getting better. Your life will improve, your career will soar, and you will have the confidence you need to create your own success. I will see you in the next episode. This PA is out.